Rock Leadership Podcast. I'm Sandra from Transition Partners and this episode I feel is a little bit special. We recently hosted a live event for Leeds Digital Festival which was all about debugging DEI in the tech industry and addressing topics often left unsaid in the workplace. On the night I especially loved the audience participation so we try to keep as much of this in the episode as possible. Anyway that's enough from me. I'll hand over now to our lovely panellists. Hi guys, I'm Jonathan, or Jono, or um, the idiot with a hat on, um, which I usually get called. Um, glad you could all make it this evening. It's great to, to see a full room. Um, I think it just goes to show how many people are interested in, in the DEI topic. Um, I think it's, it's becoming more and more prevalent. Um, and I, I think not just the tech industry, but the, the Leeds community, um, certainly in my experience, you can tell by the accent I'm, I'm not... Uh, uh, a true Yorkshireman, um, but what I've found since I've, I've been here up in Yorkshire that uh, people um, are, are very open and are prepared to discuss different topics, uh, no holds barred, and I think that's a great attribute that we, we have both in the community. Um, so introducing that into tech, into, into the businesses that we work in, to try and create a more inclusive workspace um, for, for the good of everybody. So I'll hand you over to our panel. Hello. <clears throat> Hi everyone, I'm Cleveland. Um, I'm Leeds Born and Bred. So, um, thank you. <laughs> so, what is it, what is it? I say what I like and I like what I say. So, um, yeah, there you go. Um, yeah, so Leeds Born and Bred, um, my day job, I work for EMIS. Uh, we were a health tech organisation, um, predominantly mainly known for uh, GP systems. So, systems in GPs, we have 60% of medical records of the UK population. So, probably some of yours are sat on uh, our systems. We also do other health systems, A and E. If you go and break your leg and stuff, it's probably being entered on our system. So that's what uh, my comp- the company I work for. I'm um, what am I again? Group delivery director. So I'm responsible for anything that is sold, getting it out to customers. And I have a large team um, that are nationally based um, to to undertake that. I also have a couple of other jobs. As I say, if you want something done, ask a busy person. So uh, I'm also a non-exec director for Leeds and York um, Mental Health Trust. And that comes with lots of challenges, as you can imagine, in the NHS. But a lot of the challenges that people don't normally hear about, because we all hear about acute stuff and cancer and, you know, and all those other stuff. But actually, you know, the mental health in the communities is a major big element and a big challenge across the country and here in Leeds and York. And then finally, I'm also the chair of Leeds Community Foundation, which is a grant-giving charity. Um, and a number of us have done quite a bit of stuff uh, with Leeds Community Foundation, including the Leeds Digital Bowl. Get yourself booked on for next year, it's going to be amazing. Um, yeah, on the subject of DNA, it's very close to my heart. Um, for my own organisation, um, I am, I can hear some music. I am the, um, I'm the uh, senior leadership uh, sponsor for DNA with my organisation. Like Jono, um, my company also has a development arm in, uh, in India. And then we are nationally based, but we are predominantly a remote working organisation now. Um, and that comes with its challenges around inclusivity, um, around ensuring diversity, ensuring, you know, protected characteristics are, uh, are dealt with properly um, and equally and all the rest of it. So again, like Sandra said, like John said, it's something close to my heart. So I'm quite excited about this conversation. So uh, over to you. I'm not going to be able to top that, that was a lot. <laughs> um, so Amelia Taylor, I'm from Cellpoint Technologies, um, they're an Austin-based um, cybersecurity company, identity and access management, happy to talk about that later, I'm sure you probably don't want to hear about that today. Um, so I'm very passionate, I think, um, especially in technology vendors, um, typically it's very, very male-heavy um, and um, kind of want to smash down that door and make sure that anyone feels like they can work there and anywhere in technology. Um, being a company that's probably abroad as well, sometimes you can feel like you've lost your identity because what they are doing and what's kind of their culture may not represent kind of the UK. And um, yeah, it's a very different aspect going from, uh, I was at PwC before and I think Linda, I just uh, realised that you in the front row and there's Steve. <laughs> Um, and it was literally just around the corner. I lived straight across my office um, and then going to a company where the majority of people are 
thousand, I don't know how far Aston is, I'm very sorry, um, <laughs> a thousand miles away um, from me, um, it's been very, very different, but it's a challenge and um, I've been looking at loads of different ways of how I can connect with those people from so many different areas. Um, probably more personally, um, I've had many back troubles um, and health troubles over the time, which has affected me also mentally. Um, I've had four back surgeries since I was 15 until my last one last year so yeah um, it's definitely something that I want to make sure that people feel like they can talk about lots of different things whether it's health or other in their workplace. Awesome thank you. Okay Beth over to you. Hi everybody I'm Beth Gildersleeve so I work for Flutter UK and Ireland so I'm Managing Director for Technology Brand Experience so I used to work predominantly on Sky Betting Gaming, which is in Leeds, Yorkshire-based company. I've got friends in Sheffield as well. I'm from Wakefield, born and bred, so I'm a Yorkshire lass. Um, so I worked, joined Sky Betting Gaming six years ago um, in technology, we're very minor, as a woman in tech, as a minority. Um, we got acquired by Flutter Entertainment, so I now look after the Sky Betting Gaming front ends, Paddy Power front ends, and Betfair front ends. So I've got a really diverse and and talented workforce of about 550 people and I hate using that word workforce I don't know why I said it got a talented <laughs> team of 550 people so but not just in Yorkshire anymore and we've got Romania Portugal and Dublin and London so it's a really diverse um, team different challenges we've brought teams together so there's some challenges around our ways of working tooling but also cultural understanding each other so really passionate about this topic being a woman in tech and still being a minority I think um, for Flutter UK and Ireland there's Two and a half thousand people in technology, um, and I think we're at twenty-six percent female, and probably looking at ethnicity really poor as well. And some of that's to do with the industry we're in, but um, there's a lot we could do. And then I guess on a personal level, um, I've got two children. One's a daughter. I want to kind of look at like her opportunities and what that brings, um, and just some of the health stuff. Like I suffer migraines. And there's things around how do you get different practices and flexibility in that. And then also looking at things like taboo subjects like menopause. Who have we got that can champion? So there's loads of stuff we can go at in this, this this topic. But that's me anyway. Thank you. Perfect. No, thank you. Thank you all. Um, okay. So just in those opening statements, I think we've we've covered off quite a bit. You know, we've touched upon um, neurodiversity. We've touched upon um, remote working in different locations, trying to adapt and incorporate different cultures. We've touched upon healthcare, uh, being a parent, and, and how we manage that alongside our, our working life. So um, yeah, I, I think it'd be really good to, to delve deeper into each of those uh, those topics individually. But I, I think firstly, it, it's the, the big question for me is is how do we open up those conversations internally within organisations to to begin with um, as, as business leaders. What can we do? And everybody in the room as well, you know, this isn't just a panel. Um, we all have influential positions within our organisations. Um, we all have uh, uh, opinions, and I'm sure we all want to, you know, you're all here today because you think the AI is an interesting topic, um, and you all want to, to be able to support and champion that with, within your workplace. Um, so how, what, what approach do we take? How do we do that? How, how do we open up the conversation? How do we break down those barriers? So, um, Amelia, how about you? Oh, wasn't it? We said we were going to clean. Yeah, I'm just trying to chop it up a little bit. <laughs> you don't see my little story. Oh, I didn't see that. You've got your little notes ready. I wasn't ready. Teflon clean. Um, yeah. I think sometimes the easiest thing is just being open. So if something is bothering you and you feel like you can speak to people in the room and you may not feel like that's everyone, and I'm not saying go on your team meeting with 20 people and start talking about every problem, but on those one-to-one -one calls, those coffee chats, just being yourself. If something you're really struggling with, talk to them about it. I think a lot of people are struggling with things and one of the biggest things that I find is if I need to vent, as long as I'm not going on for an hour, which sometimes I can, um, <laughs> just having a conversation can really help you. Um, at the moment I really struggle and um, I have nerve damage because of my back problems and that can really struggle with stress and it goes horrendously wrong um, so just being able to have a five minute chat with someone about kind of what is that problem and I know who my go-to people are everyone I hope at least has one or two people who they can go to at work and maybe that's not someone at work but a lot of us work at home now just go scream at your partner if you need to um, yes, that's one of the things that I think is really important for me. Okay, cool. Um, Cleveland, how about you? I think I'll just add on to that exactly what you said. I think talking, talking and being open. You know, one of the things 
I've noticed we've missed, and I'm glad I'm not young anymore, um, and not being in the office. No, no, let me explain, let me explain. Let me explain, let me explain. So when I started working, I went into the office, and the older folk showed me what to do. And, you know, when I couldn't work something out, I'd look over the screen, I worked in computers, and I'd see someone's code, and I'd go, oh, that's what I need to do. And now we all work from home, which is great, and it's flexible, and the rest of it. And one of the things I used to keep saying to everyone during lockdown and the rest, anyone can look okay for 10 minutes, you know, get on the phone, you know, and you get down and, you know, you're back into, your, into your, whatever's going on around you. And we, we, with that, we lose the art of some simple conversations. Mm. I remember, me and Beth used to work together, you know, when we were in the office, you'd speak to people, you'd have a coffee together, you'd have a chat, you'd know about people's lives. And when something went wrong, someone had mentioned, you know, uh, my child has done this or, you know, whatever, my parent, etc. And you're able to have those conversations now, and we've got to be really understanding that individuals won't necessarily be comfortable in just opening with a conversation about that. So, you know, when we talk about, you know, when we uh, challenges, whatever it may be, we've got to be able to genuinely create an opportunity for people to just talk, to people to be open, and to to do it properly. Um, and, and, and that, for me, is, is it's all about culture, isn't it? And it becoming an accepted norm, that actually being able to speak, absolutely being, you know, um, is it problem shared, is it problem hard, or whatever. You know, being, being, being able to open, and, 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 and that's the only way. When you look at challenges that individuals have, you know, we're talking about diversity, we're talking about, you know, uh, equity and, and inclusive, being inclusive. All those things are, you know, are out there. Challenges are otherwise, but creating that opportunity for people to just speak and really speak openly and honestly about it. I think you're absolutely right. Um, I, I, I think um, we probably take it for granted. We're sat up here on a panel today because we're not backwards in coming forwards. Um, but I think we need to appreciate that not everybody is like that. So you shouldn't just wait for somebody to come and talk to, to you. Uh, it, it's about letting them know that you operate within a safe space and that anything that they want to talk about that, that's impacting them um, or, or you know that's affecting them, whether it's in a workplace or whether it's in their personal life, which will, um, by its very nature, uh, affect them in, in the working environment. Um, but it's okay to, to, to talk about that and um, that, that we're here to listen to them and, and that we understand and, and appreciate um, you know, potentially what they're, they're going through. So what, what are your thoughts, Beth? Two things. One, I think, leading by example, and the second is trust. So, like, the behaviour you walk past is the behaviour you accept. So, you kind of have to sometimes stand your ground and you have to make a point to show that it's okay to call something out or to say, be vulnerable, whatever it may be. And trust, you're not going to get those conversations flowing if you don't have the trust. And it's something we've worked quite, as a leadership team where I, where I am at work, we've worked quite hard uh, to look into this about listening groups, you know, open forums for people to kind of say how they're feeling on different topics. But a scheme that I'd like to call out that was really successful for us was um, a mentoring scheme that we called Level Up, and it was open to, to applications for people from, I guess, minorities, underrepresented groups, and they could have a, like a mentoring with a leadership member, reverse mentoring, and it was about senior leaders understanding what it was like to have a lived experience in the organisation, but also the leader thinking about, they're also giving their experience, but it can be lonely being a leader, so it was actually about get, learning from other people on, you know, that you wouldn't see day to day, but really understanding actually what is it like to work here and taking action on the back of it. And then I just think about leading by example, just to give you a little, something that it gets called out now, but at the time it was really uncomfortable. So I used to, when I was in a, but during, it was in lockdown there, so I was on a Zoom call um, and I worked in a team that was all men and I was then female. And something we were doing, I don't know if we were doing like a, bias, unconscious bias kind of training as a team. Um, and it was a really good conversation, but something triggered in that conversation where they called each other mates all the time. And in emails they'd say, hi mate. And because I was a female, they didn't, it'd be hi Beth. And somehow that got into the conversation. So it went down a different topic around, do you know, like, it's, I don't mind you call, saying guys for the group, but have you checked that I am comfortable with that? Why I feel like you're singling me out by not calling me mate. So that created a really di different conversation. And it was a healthy, you know, someone saying, I don't, I don't agree with you, Beth, or I didn't even realise that's what I was doing. So, th so I, I didn't enjoy it, but after that, it, it changed the dial. 
and there's a lot more respect and awareness. A lot of it is education and awareness. So. And the fact that they've just been open and, and, and kind of asked you beforehand, look, how do you feel yeah. about this? Um, it, it resonates because I get spanked all the time by um, colleagues for, um, for, for saying, hey guys, uh, because it's not inclusive. You might want to speak to them. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, 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 it's fine. Um, or dude, um, and, and I'd, uh, I'm impartial, whether it's um, male or female or, or, um, or otherwise, um, I, I just take the, the same approach, the same terminology, um, but I need to remind myself, based on feedback that I've had from people, that uh, you know some people might not like being called dude, um, <laughs> guys. So uh, I, I have to check myself and, and check in first to make sure that, that that's okay. Or the spanked, which is why I'm anyway. Um, but no, it's it, it's just about um, being conscious of you know your parlance and and uh, how you're you're talking to people because something that that's totally fine um, for, for you, uh, may not sit well with, with other people. Um, and I, I think you're right, Beth, it's, it's just about considering them up front, asking them the question and saying, look, you know, this is, this is how I talk, these are the words I, I use, um, are you okay with that? If not, um, can you make any suggestions for, um, for alternatives? I, I think on that though, we're probably at the moment only considering people who feel comfortable to actually mm say something to the person we've also got to consider non-verbal ways or other methods and i think when we spoke before there's lots of different ways to do that whether that's having like a box in the office where people can put notes or um in one of my offices previously there was a room where people could just go and reflect themselves and go away because maybe they don't like to speak to people about stuff but they just need to process and have some time away from the rest of the team and stuff like that so I think we've got to consider not just everyone who can deal with stuff and they calm down. Yeah. And that's because that's how we probably, as very social people, do that. It's also looking at everyone and their character types and making sure that not everyone processes things the same way. So how do we identify those needs then? How do we understand what, what the requirements are of a, um, a, a, a broad, I don't use the term workforce, but um, team, team of people. Um, sorry, can I just interject before we answer that question? We've just got. Um, I'm waving. Sorry. We were all like, oh, we wanted to be in it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, 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 but one thing that I say is, as like you were saying with the lead by example, but you know, if you've got your, your shop, if you've got your online presence, like your website or something like that, if you've got elements in that website that shows that you're thinking of people that are blind, colorblind, you know, any of those visual distresses, uh, any neurodiversity, dyslexia, if you've got things on there, then obviously you're showing not just your customers, but someone who potentially wants to work for you or with you, that you're an inclusive company. Um, my goal in life would be great to be able to have people to go into interviews, sit down, go, hi, my name, my name's Chris, my name's Bob, um, and um, I'm neurodiverse, I've got ADHD or something like that. It doesn't happen a lot because people mask, obviously, they go in, they have the fear. But you can get people that mask for their entire life and their career. You've actually stopped everything what you're talking about was brilliant, and it was all about what you do once you're in that situation. But if you're a business owner, you can take responsibility at the start to show people that you're a really inclusive company, you can just hopefully deal with it right there and then by being out. So I just wanted to jump in. With no, 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 I completely agree. Um, one, of, one of the um, upcoming questions was around um, what, what we should do as business leaders um, or influential individuals. Sorry, you know, <laughs> <laughs> um, about the, the types of things that we can do, but yeah, yeah absolutely right. It, it's, it's not just about the action we take in the workplace, um, it, it's about presenting that through through different mediums and forums, um, externally and internally, so, so people know before they even come and talk to, to us as an individual within the organisation, it, it's represented um, and, and demonstrated, you know, what, what we stand for. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, just to, to pick up on something you said there, I work with Katie Parker at um, Leeds Inclusive Employers Network, um, and they focus quite heavily, she's a, a couple of autistic children, um, and that's driven her to, to, to kind of um, d deliver 
education around neuro, neurodiversity and, and helping uh, particularly younger people, so within the 16 to 25 year old bracket, um, around the, the support that's needed to help educate employers um, on the, the, the different approaches and methods they can take to, to, to support individuals like that. But I think if it's because they don't know, they can go on a website and it's not published, you, you, you wouldn't know looking at um, any external collateral or, or information um, whether you are going to be supported through that, yeah. that, that journey. Um, so yeah, no, I think it's um, a, a good shout and a good call. Um, and I'm, I presume that if anybody needs any advice or any support, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. In, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> chat with you. Okay, cool. Um, but yeah, leading nicely um, as a, a, an excellent segue. He wasn't a plant by any stretch. Into the the types of things that we can do as influential individuals within um, organisations, or as, as um, business owners or, or leaders ourselves, to um, to, to implement um, policies or um, capabilities within the business that, that, that demonstrate we're we're open to that and. We're a, a supportive organisation. Um, I'm going to come straight to you, Beth, on the end. Yeah, I can give you some examples of things we've done within within Flutter UK and Ireland um, that have been really successful. But I, I bear in mind that we are a bigger organisation as well, so it sometimes makes it easier to put things like this. And so we've done things like um, leaning circles, um, a scheme for women that work in the workplace that really struggle with confidence or networks, and they can meet people from. The, from different parts of different teams, different divisions, and have conversations around their experiences at work, what support they might need, and that's been really positive, and they have like a, a circle manager that they check in with, and that opens up like things that you might not know about, like flexible working might be a challenge, or uh, menopause, or something's happened, and it just it's a safe environment for them, so that's been good, and it's something that we've carried through. Flexible working policies have been like adapted um, as a result of some of that. Um, what else have we done? Um, Brain's gone. Brain's totally gone now, as, as expected. Um, <laughs> menopause is one of the things I was going to talk about today, but it hasn't quite come up yet. But one of the things is memory. And I didn't write anything down like you, Cleveland, so that's my bad. Yeah. <laughs> I was always trying to remember the two points I wanted to say earlier, waiting for you guys to finish. And gals. Um, leaning circles, we've had um, Kickstarter scheme where we've looked at how we can bring people in that wouldn't get a chance to work in an organisation. So it was a government scheme that the government kicked off post-lockdown to get uh, people between the ages of 16 to 25 into the workplace. We adapted that scheme, funded it ourselves and brought people in from 18 to 25 from different um, backgrounds, people who never had that never had a chance to work anywhere. So it was like basic things like how to dress for work, etiquette in the office, and that was really good and that really opened eyes up in terms of diversity, how to think about how you onboard people. Um, we've put things in like um, for onboarding, mass profiles, gender decoding, so that you don't know who you're going to interview, so try and make it fair. We did a neurodiversity um, training programme for everybody to understand you know, the needs of others, how to, you know, what everybody brings to the table in terms of diversity of thought and ideas, and then that then leads people to be able to have those open one-to-one -one conversations to see if you know, any support is needed and do things on the back of that. It's probably loads of stuff, but that's just, just some things we're that doing. That is a load of stuff already. Yeah. I think it's yeah, um, quite a bit of work. But... Yeah, and there's loads more we could do, but these are really positive things. And we, did, and we worked with um, an autism charity a couple of years ago where we had some people with autism that came into the office. It was just like a work placement, again, just to get them exposure to working in an office, but also to do the education piece back around mm -hmm. what adapt, you know, how do you make your organisation more inclusive. So there's things, obviously we can do more, but there has been things we've been able to I think you raise a good point as well actually, um, as a large organisation you've, you've obviously got the resources and the capability to, to invest more time and effort into that, um, but it, it's, it's quite difficult for the small organisations. Um, a, a quick shout out, uh, who, um, how many of you work for companies that are kind of sub 250 employees? Okay, um, everybody else uh, above that I'm, I'm guessing. How many multinationals? And do you all um, engage with your, your colleagues in, in different regions, different locations, different countries? Yeah. Um, do you find that there's there's much of a, um, a culture disparity or, or culture barriers? Yeah. That's yeah. It. yeah. yeah. I, I wouldn't say barriers really. I'd say differences. A lot of differences. Um, for me, I work with people from India, 
Australia, US, you pick a country that probably work with it. Um, most recently it was quite hard as well because we kind of had to go through an exercise to rehire our Russian expats as well. That was a massive thing and that was quite difficult as well because colleagues felt quite bad about it. You know, guys who were being told to so, yeah. they, they were told to, you can't work with us anymore because our government is saying that. And people actually left Russia to work with us again, which is such a bizarre thing to me. Um, that it's different, a lot of differences. Yeah, completely. And, and, and so it sounds like the, the organization you work for has, has been quite progressive or, or adapted in, in trying to accommodate. Yeah, the, yeah those I mean, I mean, a lot of people, we, we, we help them move countries. Um, and again, that's mainly because governmental issues. Um, so we said, we don't want to lose our colleagues, well, what can we do? Uh, and, and people wanted to leave Russia as well at the time because they didn't like the regime, they didn't like how it's working. I mean, it's quite different topics than, than what we're talking here, but that, I think that's also kind of diverse because if you have a guy that works from Russia and suddenly you can't work with them, it's like, well, it's adapting to the needs of your employee base, isn't exactly, it? So, exactly, yeah. uh, um, yeah, Whereas it's... our employer could have said, no, thank you, right? Yep. Done with you, government doesn't want you, move on. But we tried really hard and got loads of those people back in. But yeah, that's good. I think that's making sure that it's an inclusive place. And I think when we go into kind of the political angle, that's really difficult sometimes. People will have their own views, but you can't almost bring all of that into a workplace. Because at the end of the day, what our government are doing and then as as people, we're, we're not the ones making the decisions. And we might have difference of opinions. And as long as we can have healthy debates, maybe not in the office space, but that isn't then brought in and causing a hostile environment, that's okay. Um, yeah, it's a difficult one. I think we look at my company work in the Middle East in Saudi Arabia, they're in the... Um, media a lot at that moment things are changing and I think a lot of people are still working with them, we're very happy to work with them under the surface and just because these people are from those countries, it doesn't mean that we can work with them in a very harmonious environment and everyone can get on we shouldn't be making people feel uncomfortable because of where they're from That's it, it's respecting the individual not their, not their location or their political views um, and assessing them on their, their individual capabilities and, and performance um, and then going out of the, the way, as you say, to, to try to accommodate them. Um, it's, quite, it's quite interesting though, isn't it? You know, we talk about biases, you know, and, and that's a really great example. You know, the reason why unconscious bias is quite important, because it's unconscious. You know, a lot of people recruit in their own mould, you know, very much you believe or you feel something, whether you're conscious or not, and that's how you continue to be and you know when I when I sort of you know when I was asked to take on the um, the lead for DNI for the organization I was you know the first question was hold on is it because I'm the ethnic director you know <laughs> <laughs> you know is it because I'm black um, so once we got over that bit um, my then the next bit was really about if we're doing D and I, it's not about box ticking. This has got to be serious. We've got to be real about this. What what does it really mean? And if we look across the workforce, we've got a really good mix of everything. And when I say diversity, I mean in everything. Um, and then, really, you know, one of the first things we we did because you know we do the surveys. You know, the men paid more than the women. We we're an IT company. We've got more men than females. What's our ethnic diversity? What's our age? profile etc etc and when you look at all the stats there's lots of patterns yeah and it's very common nothing uncommon that happens in the tech industry you can tell you it's the same type of people you know there's a lot of these uni computer science uh, individuals i'm going to say geeks but they might be um, that, are, that are really good at doing their thing and you know uh, in our marketing team there's lots of extroverts and you know all, and, and you could almost see the patterns of the groups I mean, and every time someone comes in they're pretty much like the person that's already in there so one of the things I said was, this a big, huge element of we've got unconscious bias, I've got unconscious biases. One, we've got to understand what it is. And then secondly, there's a real program of education and knowledge and, and learning, because we've all got to learn. And 
we um, at my organisation have, have spent and continue to spend a lot of time on around awareness, and that's everything. You know, we, we really do some amazing awareness. One of the most educational sessions I had, there was two that they were a while ago now, and they both keep, I can remember every bit of them. So one of them is about menopause understanding, all right, and the impacts of that and what it means and, and all the rest of the, you know, the things to look and, and know, wow, not only did it help me at home, but, you know, actually it helped with me understanding some individuals in the workforce, and it was really, really insightful. Another one was by uh, a transgender individual, um, and they uh, presented their story around not only their upbringing, but more importantly, their work being... Um, oh, that beeps. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and, uh, and, and, and that was unbelievably educational. And, and why it was educational is because there were a couple of individuals that worked in my team that, well, one of them, right, and that, you know, um, bless their cotton socks now, that contacted me and said, we're all starting to switch cameras on. Do you think it will be okay if I wear my wig and my dress? And I said, do what the hell you want. Why, why would I care? But actually... You were wearing yours. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, but interestingly, when, you know, we when, you know, gave, gave them the permission to do so, if I can say so, but then the reaction was unbelievable through lack of education and doing the session around uh, the transgender and the story the, the, the rhetoric and the, 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 the messages that went out on the back of that was like yep it's all about education, it's all about understanding it's all about understanding differences and how that works, what's the positives, what are the challenges etc. So as a leader for me there's a hell of a lot about coming to you, there's a hell of a lot about awareness and understanding and education but also being and, and particularly me, and you know, I, I'm a bit of an extrovert, uncomfortable in being uncomfortable in having those conversations. It's very powerful. Yeah. yeah. Well, loads of questions coming. <laughs> yeah, I, I found what you just said there really, really fascinating. And some of the policies and things that you've implemented in terms of the programmes of the workplace that have clearly really had an impact on you know how the organisation view these things. I think, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here naming names, but I think there are some very large corporations which are very good at lip service but not actually walking the walk. And as a leader in business... Most of them. Yeah. <laughs> and as a leader in business, I try on a day-to-day -day basis to, um, you know, the organisation that I work for is actually not like that, just to say. But, um, but, but I try my best to really kind of... Um, detangle that unconscious bias and really make it a very inclusive, to, you know, kind of place to work. I manage a multicultural team, lots of different backgrounds, you know, and building a European department. And you know, it's amazing actually to see how incredibly fantastic all these people work together. And I've got somebody from every continent. Mm. It's really, really unreal. And I've never managed a better team, to be fair. Um, but how do you feel as a leader in the workplace? when you work for an organisation, or don't work for an organisation that doesn't walk the walk, but how can you influence on a day-to-day? -day? You've got these programmes, that's great, but on a day-to-day -day basis, how do you think it's best to influence people in business? Who wants to answer that? Um, you've just got to keep going, haven't you? I think the whole thing about education, that's, that's the journey we've been on. I would say we've, we've had a real dichotomy about some of this, because at our, at our global level, we have... Um, like our business plan, our positive impact plan that tells how we're going to be sustainable, what we're doing about the DEI. It has a target in it to have something like 40% more female execs, whatever, by 2026 or something like that. And, and as a leadership, as a local leadership team in the UK and Ireland, we, we were like, well, that doesn't feel right because that's just a, a, a doing lip service, just showing the target. But we, we talked about that and it's like, it, it is trying to shift the dial, so you have to be able to measure. But then what we did to support that is we had like a pledge. And it was a pledge that was meant something to you individually, something that you would actually do. It was tangible. You'd go out to the business to say, and it could be things like, um, you know, doing something for women in tech, you know, breaking down, you know, barriers, looking at confidence. It could be something like working with a charity, um, to give something back. Because we're obviously uh, in an entertainment business, which is better than sometimes it's got negative connotations. But it's like, how do you give something back? So there's, there's different things that everybody took to pledge, and we've talked about it. And we're open, and people call us out on it. 
So that's what we tried to do, and, and it is a real, it's real hard to do. But it's 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 work in progress, I think, with everybody. You don't want it just to be the new fat, you know, the new fab. It is something that is it starts now. But for me, it is you call it out. And you can see things. You have to be brave. And you know, I'm not as out there as Cleveland. So when he talks about we've got to be comfortable being comfortable, that's hard. But you have to do it, don't you? Because you have then that's that's the tone you set that says actually it's okay. Go on. I was going to say it's important to do the opposite as well. Um, I'm in a quite a small business, and I think in a large business you've got every type of person from every walk of life, and you've heard a story from one of them, maybe physical pain or menopause, uh, and suddenly it's on everyone's radars, and then someone thinks I'm going to go create an awareness campaign around that and talk to people and get it on the agenda. But in companies our size are 46. Um, it's, it's quite unlikely that you're going to get someone with <clears throat> severe physical pain. So, is it on our agenda? Are we talking about it? So, you've got to think about what's not being talked yeah. about, and you've got to think about what people that don't work for you have got. Because people that work for you, so say there's a woman in her late thirties, she's maybe thinking, "What does this company think about menopause?" I've never spoken about it. There's no one else here that's experiencing it. Do I want to be here, or should I go somewhere that's that's openly supportive of it. So what we're trying to do is identify those areas that aren't on our radar and start talking about them so that people when they do experience it or you know they want to recommend a friend who you know is under the age of 18 and we've already talked about safeguarding or somebody who's about to go to menopause and we've already talked about it they're going to recommend their friend whereas otherwise they might not have done so it's it's especially in, in small businesses, it's quite a challenge to talk about things that aren't in the mainstream. Okay. I like that. I think what I mean, one of the, sorry, one of the things that Beth said, I think, which is, is so right. We just can't stop, we can't stop tackling and, and impacting and having those conversations. But it's quite interesting, you know, what you just said there. And one of the things that happens at our organization is we're quite. We try to get people to talk, right? But we talk and try and do something about lived experiences. So one of our latest policies this year is about pregnancy loss and how many organisations have a policy around pregnancy loss that actually understands the very different elements of pregnancy loss, the impact that that has on the individuals, the partner, uh, the people that are surrounding them. And actually our policy around pregnancy loss is the same as it is if a, a family member was to, was to pass away. So there is no difference. But how many... I mean, I once spoke to someone who said... Um, they lost uh, they, they lost their child at whatever week it was. They were expected to come back to work in a couple of days, and their partner was not given any time off. And I'm going, you don't want to work there. That's not the place where you want to be employed. And it's really interesting. We say, what do we do? And the last thing I'm going to say on this, because I can keep talking. Um, and I'm a bit long in the tooth. I've been working in the industry now for just over 30 years. I know I don't look it. But, um, <laughs> but over the last probably two decades... I wouldn't work for an organisation that wouldn't allow me to do the school run a couple of times a week. I simply wouldn't work for them. I'd talk, you know, any, quest, any final questions in the interview? Yes. Are you okay with me taking my daughters to, to school and nursery uh, on a Friday morning? And if they hesitated, I weren't interested. So, you know, it's lived experiences and, and making that positive change. Sometimes you're not in a position to turn a job down, but you know, you do as you as you want, really, don't you? And I think lived experience is quite an interesting one as well because I've just talked about um, raising awareness for things that we're not experiencing, yeah, yeah. and to really get to the root of the issue, you need to speak to someone who has experienced mm -hmm. it. So we're a little bit disadvantaged by not having those people. The around. Considerations are so broad, aren't they? Yeah. Um, and I think that's that's the difference in the organisation. So coming back to your point, Chris, around. Um, <clears throat> upfront awareness of um, your considerations and mindset as, as an organisation um, publicising that but I'll take um, other people's points around the fact that it is just lip service in, in, in many cases I think the, the difference between talking the talk and walking the walk is that um, that ongoing commitment to, to raising awareness incorporating it into the material into the communication within the organisation and um, forward-thinking companies that, to your point, Andy, want to educate themselves on, on things that they don't know about or they haven't experienced within the workplace. Um, so proactively going out there and, and, and trying to identify 
um, and then bring that back in and, and communicate in, internally. Um, so yeah, I, I think there's there's a number of different things. It's difficult, isn't it? You know, to think about and consider all of, of, of these things, and then the the impact that that's going to have to your existing workforce, um, and the perception that's that's going to give to, um, to, to to clients or externals. Um, but I think we just have to live and breathe by our our morals, and um, and I think as influential individuals within an organization that's that's the power that, that we really bring to, to our roles you know to keep find a good fight championing um what what we believe is right um and opening it out to, to other individuals um in the open if they're they're, they're open to, to discussing these types of things or providing them a safe space to, to be able to um come and, come and discuss or even raise them um and separately or, or um, anonymously through through different and certain means. Um, Can I so, just, yeah, something just triggered to me that something we did two years ago that was really powerful. We did um, a lady that I worked with in my team. She did a, a like an internal kind of setup where you could talk about women in tech and the barriers. And there was a panel of women people women in tech talking about their experiences. But she flipped it on its head and she brought some men in from tech. And it was like you listen to the experiences of women in our organisation in tech. How do you how, how do you respond to that? And, and it's it, they were really enlightened by that. And then actually on the back of that they said we're going to be allies. We're going to take these actions. And that was something that was really powerful. And we probably should look to repeat that because what that did it was that education piece again. It wasn't always about the women talking about their experiences. It was about the men. What does that what does, how does that make you feel? And what can you do? To yeah, giving their their yeah. perception um, yeah. is, is is really good. It's very insightful as well, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I think um, on that as well, I think what we've got to understand is maybe our priorities as leaders are different to people who we work with or maybe people who want to join our organisation. And one of the things, it's a small thing that we did um, at my old company actually, um, was setting non-negotiables that everyone could have a different one. Yours is picking your kids up from school. It could just be going to the gym. It could be on this day, I'm going to finish this early or it could be whatever you wanted it to be and everyone was aware this was your non-negotiable you didn't actually have to tell them what it was but this is what it is and that's fine that is what you're going to keep each week could it could change one week to another but as long as people were aware of that and you communicated that no one had a problem and i think that's a small thing that you can probably bring into the workplace whether that's just in your team or in the whole organization it's probably very hard to do it in a whole organisation, but I'd like to see it try. Andy, you can start. Yeah. Um, I like that idea of asking about non-negotiables and seeing, seeing what really matters to people. Sometimes it's really something that's quite simple. But it helps you engage your workforce as well, doesn't it? You know, it makes them feel um, wanted or appreciated. You know, what, what matters to, to you? What's important? And, and how can we support you and accommodate you in, in um, your non-negotiables. Yeah. No, I think it's a really good approach. Um, yeah, You've been waiting. Alison? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so I'm Alison. I'm one of the founders of a small chain improvement consultancy. So we're smaller than you, Andy, so there's 15 of us. We've got entirely different challenges than the, the ones you guys are uh, talking about. And actually quite unique challenge in that a lot of the work we do is aligned around technology, but we actually that we have more, way more female employees than male employees. In fact, Simon's, Simon's one of the two male members of our, of our team, the other 13 are, are female. And so I was interested in the point you made about around recruitment and how you kind of set that up front, because we are genuinely going out there saying, here's what, we, here's what we'd like, here's the roles we're recruiting for, but we genuinely get female, uh, uh, an avalanche of female um, uh, applicants. Interested in any thoughts or insights you might have around that kind of upfront recruitment piece and how to come our own um, unconscious bias because undoubtedly there will be some there but not coming from the kind of traditional angle. I think sometimes it's even just how you write your job um, specs. Um, a lot of the time they said women are less likely to apply for jobs if they don't think they meet the criteria mm-hmm. and that's one of the things that I think. Maybe if you get someone else to look at your job spec, they go, well, maybe I wouldn't apply. Maybe get Simon to do it for you and just review. Actually, maybe we can change the language here, this, that, the other. And it's really small tweaks. Also, there's things like disc profiles where maybe you just remove people's names and get them to do, you're looking for people with this skill set and this kind of way of thinking. 
and then you think look at those applicants first off doing that and further down the line then that's when you get to the yeah that's a few things I, I know that you had your hand up on that yeah so kind of following with the non-negotiables my company's kind of solved that a little bit differently and probably not for every company to do that we don't measure input default we only measure output and we don't the holidays so we don't really care when you work how you work as long as things get done it's it's good <laughs> For someone that loves um, holidays, I would love that. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't be at work much though. Yeah, I'd be sad. Yeah, it was a hard requirement. As, as I mentioned, it's it's a multinational company. It's I sometimes have to work at 9pm because of my position and I'm in a leadership position, yeah. so I have to be present, I have to be there. So for me it's a little bit different. But for majority of the employees, they have their own time zones, they have their own time zones. They, they can, can be in some meetings, they can't be in some meetings. So we had to open this up because otherwise we're telling a guy from Australia to work at 4 a.m. It's like, mm. that's not going to I do love that. It's quite an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, my organisation, um, last year, and it's now come... So everybody that works for the organisation, whatever your role is, you can work from a location abroad for four weeks of the year and you can take it in chunks. So what a lot of people have started doing now is going on a holiday for a week or so and then having another week often if they've got family the family's still there and they go I'll work in the day because you know I really don't want to be with the family anyway and then you know in the evening they sort of continue and, and, and it's 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 been a really popular yeah. uh, element but I can see a question there but I'm just going to say something on recruitment which really strikes home for me right so I've been in IT and technology and I've done alright right over 30 years but I didn't have a degree so I came straight from college, from inner city Leeds, um, from a you know um, a very humble background, but amazing parents, and that's what made me who I am. Um, but actually, when I look at the the plethora of organisations that I've worked for or otherwise, one of the biggest barriers was you know you've got to have a degree, and it's been really interesting is that one right because my daughter don't let me talk too much because I get upset I took my eldest daughter to university at the weekend and she's left home however the reality of that right was okay so if we say we want someone with a degree you have immediately discounted so many talented individuals and the bit that I think hit home for me right I'm now in a fortunate position yeah so I can afford things but actually I've just sent my daughter to, to university and it's cost a lot of money so immediately the individuals that we are already saying you've got to have a degree to come and work for us, are already on a, on a particular pedestal, a financial backing that allows them to be already achieved that badge. And all those other individuals never get an opportunity to work for so many organisations. And when we talk about diversity, it's not just in race, sex, um, protected characteristics or, or everything else. Social economic is huge. And for me, that's the one that's hit home so much. When we pulled up outside the uni, right, in the halls, you wouldn't believe how many nice cars there were dropping their kids off. And I just went, look at it. This is just a world of middle-class parents affording their children to get degrees who are then going to get the best jobs. What are we going to do about that? Enough said. I'll let the questions come in. <laughs> <laughs> There's one right there. Oh, sorry, sorry. Didn't see it. Go ahead. So my question was kind of before that point. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry. No, <laughs> no. Yeah, that point was great. So I'm Laura from Hate Consultants. So well-being strategies are super important. I think they're an absolute must, and that's kind of a route that I go down as a forward. I love the point on opening the culture and the tone of a, you know, open door sort of principle. Do you have any tips for leaders who feel as though they're having to deal with that offloading? When you say offloading, uh, uh, what do you mean? So we're creating a culture where people can talk, they're open, we encourage those conversations. Sometimes they can be particularly heavy and leaders can feel like, oh, I don't want to say the wrong thing or what do I do with this information? I'm asking more from, do you have any tips as leaders with how you overcome those sort of conversations and support perspective? I think it's important to actually train your managers to deal with those conversations. So not everyone is going to be well equipped. And I don't know how many people here are really comfortable with someone crying at you or this, that, the other. Um, I think we need to make sure that 
we maybe have a well-being coordinator or someone who then if you don't really know how to deal with this you can go to them and it doesn't have to just be one person depends the size of the organization um, but I do think making sure you're training your managers on these kind of things that are softer skills it's not just about what we do in our day jobs there's a lot of training around how we deal with people people in a lot of the time are how we run our businesses if you don't have the people where are we so I think we need to make sure that we're just training our people to deal with these things. Leaders are people too, right? So yeah. when we're talking about DEI, it's not just about the, the, the staff and, and frontline um, individuals. <clears throat> it's all about the leaders. And we need to understand and appreciate their needs and, and their requirements. And you're absolutely right. We need to train them. Um, if, if not to be able to, to open up and engage in those types of conversations, but to... Uh, to identify the, the, the points or, or the triggers so they can signpost to the right the right person within the organization. Um, but then just don't appoint somebody, you know, to okay, yeah, you're the you're the well-being expert in, in the organization. Um, some some thought and some consideration needs to go into um, who that person is and their, 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 their role and responsibility, how they engage with the rest of the organization, um, and continuing with that, that education mindset. Um, I, I think they would play a big part in, in kind of supporting the wider organisation and championing and, and leading the, um, uh, the, the consideration and the implementation of these sorts of policies. One tip I've got is encourage people to widen their perspective. So getting involved and helping out in a charity, you will meet people that you would not necessarily meet. Um, you know, I have a great, it's sad, but it's amazing. My non-exec role with the mental health uh, trust allows me to see and experience so many things that I wouldn't normally see and it actually has made me a better person in being more empathetic, understanding, um, to be uh, able to see different perspectives and, and be greater at my own self because you know I've been in my little bubble haven't I, for 26 years because I'm only 28 now um, <laughs> but getting people to see it, encourage it Go and have a look at something outside of your bubble. Perfect. Uh, is it Claire? Yes. Um, uh, yeah, um, Claire from Exemia Science, along with Alison Simon, uh, Change and Improvement. Um, so, uh, in my previous life, I worked with a large financial neutral British um, who were extremely good at a lot of things, both as lip service and delivery in the DNI space. Um, but in the social mobility uh, space, of which I was um, very involved, um, we went to a lot of, um, I guess, examples and talks about um, trying to look at whether it was possible to bring people who were ex-offenders into the workplace. And I was really disheartened and shocked how that felt like a taboo that nobody was willing to have a discussion about or to to take that step, that bravery step. So there was a lot of things about wanting to um, produce um, opportunities and apprenticeships and a whole load of things, but when it was like, okay, so could we do a similar thing to Lloyds Bank had done, um, where they had taken a lot of digital um, skill sets from the, uh, from the prison service, essentially. It was, it was a co-education thing. It was like, no, we're not even gonna talk about that. And I felt, that was very, A, was really disappointing and really, really close-minded, but I just would be really interested to see what the panel thought about, it almost felt like a last taboo. Um, they did use the with financial services excuse, which I felt was a bit thin. I, I think from my point of view, and it's something I've probably never spoke about before, and I think it's a really great topic, um, I think we all make mistakes, and just judging someone we don't know why there could be so many different reasons it could be something really small and I think it's not even thinking about that I think it's making sure that those people coming in feel comfortable but also the rest of your workforce and it's being transparent about that so people have the choice and I think in, in my view it would be letting people have the choice to if they don't feel comfortable for whatever reason but it's in opportunity I guess to rehabilitate people and it's very very difficult for many people coming out and um, I actually have someone close to me who is an ex-offender 
and has done very well for themselves. Um, so I, I've got no problem with it, but I think it's a very big taboo and I, I don't think we talk about that enough at all. Agreed. But it's, it's, it's one of many prejudices, isn't it? Um, you know, if, if it's not sat there staring us in the face, um, we, we don't know how far and how wide to go to, to incorporate diff, different topics and um, how many people do we have to consider from, from different backgrounds. And that in itself, I think, is a, is a complete minefield. Um, well, thanks, Siri. <laughs> <laughs> Siri agrees completely. Um, right, listen, we've only got a, a couple of minutes left, so I'm, I'm going to come back to you for, for a question. Were there any more questions? Um, just so I know how much time we need to, to cover. Yeah, okay, cool. We'll take the, the two questions in the back then, and um, we'll look to, to wrap up. So, go ahead. Um, less of a question, more of a suggestion, I guess. Um, so, I used to work for SPG some, some years ago, um, and one of the things that they used to do, they still do it, actors in your, in your training and actors are really good at pushing you like they're, they're really really good but it's a safe space to, to train your managers because for example the actor was presenting me with a situation where they, they were having physical um, um, I guess physical issues with, with the body uh, and they couldn't so something. the actor representing a, a candidate then? Exactly, yeah. yeah. And representing a candidate that you need to... I, I wouldn't respond say, to. Respond to, yeah, exactly. You can't ignore those issues because they, they are issues that might change how that person is going to be working with your company, how, you know, and you still need to find ways to not exclude them. It's, yeah. and, and for some people, when you get thrown into that, immediate response is very difficult and very kind of, oh, uh, mm, I don't know. And as a, as a leader, you can't really do that, um, I, I don't think. It's quite um, an interesting initiative. Um, yeah. I, I, it's I interesting to see people cope within yeah. those certain it used to be like putting people in, like managing difficult conversations or difficult yeah, situations yeah. to feel in a safe environment you can get it wrong. And I was just going to say when they took about this, I mean, people manage it really hard mm. and yeah, you need a training programme. But I think it's okay as well to be able to say, how do you want, you know, what do you, how do you want to work with me? Or I don't, I, tell me a bit, it's to be okay to be vulnerable, I think, and say, I don't, and tell me how you want me to treat you or if you don't understand something, tell me what it's like. I think that's what you'll build the trust as well. So I think mm -hmm. But the role play thing, yeah, I, I did a couple of them myself. So I've not seen them around for a while, but yeah. Well, this is what it's all about. Yeah. Really good. Really yeah. good. Ask is it cheaper? <laughs> don't, make, don't make assumptions. Um, if, if we're talking about being inclusive, open up the dialogue, let them know that it's safe to, to talk about it, and just have a frank, transparent conversation. Uh, what does this mean to you? Get get the opinion from um, from the individual themselves, and then take that back and, and, and try and work with it. Training your managers is a big thing. You know, we we we're constantly evolving our manager training because we've got a lot of managers because there's a lot of people. You know, one of the most recent stuff we've done is um, um, interviewing and appointing neurodiverse candidates because actually. You know, when you go into, you look at a lot of organisations that interview people and it's a big scoring, how have they answered that question, etc, etc. And what you're again missing out on is some of the amazing creativity and the rest in, in, in those um, other characteristics. So we've been undertaking a real big programme with all our managers around training the things that you should be considering, the things you, more so it's not even necessarily about what you should be considering, it's but what you shouldn't be discounting. You know, because as, as you eliminate, it's the things that you are eliminating and the individuals that you're eliminating and really losing out. Because, you know, we're all talking about not enough people, isn't it? Not, not enough people. Everybody's got vacancies. Um, so, you know, where do you get them from? They're all out there. Paul, did you ask one question? And then one really, like, small point and then a question. So there's a, a website called Textio and you can run your job descriptions through it okay. and it says whether or not your job description is overly feminine, overly masculine or with this kind of age group. So that might be something... Textio. So that might be something useful. Um, and then I coach football for my son's uh, under nine age group. We've got a female coach for us, and I found out that she's in tech. So we had a conversation over a beer while we were on in uh, some football coaching sessions. Turns out she's like a director of some data company. She wants us to do a talk um, around DEI, which is around 
how do we manage to not tip the balance, to be overly biased, to discount the, you know, the, the normal, fat, white, bearded, I'm alright there. She was told that she can't talk about that because that's not on trend. So how do we make sure? Because the last word, the last thing, I is for inclusive, yeah, correct, and diverse. So that means everyone, you know. And how do we make sure that we don't tip the balance? So, Becky mentioned like 40% by 2026. How does someone who may be getting that role think that I've just got this role like the ethnic director? You know, which, by the way, it's a great DJ name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, how, did, how can you make them feel comfortable? They've got that role on merit because of their talents and their, their qualities to bring to the organisation. It's a great question, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to kick off with if that's okay, yeah. because I feel quite passionately about um, DEI for statistics' sake. Um, I I believe that everybody should be awarded a, a position based on their capability. Um, that said, further downstream, I think we need to introduce the right measures, measures and the right policies to ensure that we can properly evaluate that person's capability um, and whether it's neurodiverse or, or whether it's um, non-negotiables as, as you say um, we need to we need to be able to to, to, to impact assess um, and provide an environment that, that's um, that enables them to deliver to, to the best of, of, of their ability um, so yeah I, I don't have an answer I don't know how we, we stop ourselves I can see it happening um, but particularly with you know the statistics around um, women leaders, not not just in tech generally on, on boards, as you say, forty percent by um, 20, 2030, was it, um, Beth? Forty percent, mm. but I think it's twenty twenty six. So I'd have to check. But yeah, in exact position. Yeah. yeah, it's a hard one. I mean, we're nowhere near that problem, are we? Though I guess, <laughs> but we are. But we, we are. We are at the problem. Are we when um, we kicked off that mentoring scheme that I mentioned, where. Uh, underrepresented groups could apply to have a mentoring for a year with an LT member, leadership team member. We got a lot of noise about that from people who felt that they were being excluded from that. Mm. But the point was, this is about people who do never get those opportunities Correct. and you're creating that space so that they get to, to tell people, this is what it's like for me in this organisation. When you do this, or there's a, a, a team of males or a team of females, whatever, this is what it makes me feel like. And it was trying to get that. So um, it is a, it's a fair challenge, but I think. So I, I'm not saying it shouldn't be talked about, and I don't know why that your, your friend's been told they can't talk about it, but it's, it'd be a nice problem to having some respect. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, yeah. I'd love to have that conversation, yeah. right? Because yeah. for me, like you said, like everyone has said, the right person for the role. Yeah. The problem we have is, uh, is everyone getting the opportunities to be able to qualify for that role? I mean, hey, I'm spending a lot of money going to uni. You better be taking someone on that's gone through a degree that I've just paid for. You know, but, 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 you know, but in reality, for me, I'm absolutely comfortable. And we have to be very, very careful. If I was ever recruited because I'm a handsome black man, <laughs> I would be... <laughs> I'd be really I'm surprised you're in a job at all. Really. <laughs> I'd be really, really. I hope it's because of you know I'm pretty decent at what I do. So um, depends on the job. Well, yeah, yeah. Does he have delusional? I've given up. I've given up my modelling days. But uh, you know, but, but, but seriously, no, no. I, I'm I'm always really comfortable in having those conversations. I think exactly what Beth says. It'd be a nice problem to have. For me, it's not necessarily about about the upper echelon. It's about the individuals that are not getting the opportunity due to the number of unconscious biases. Yesterday, someone that worked reports for me, right, Lisa, it's amazing, we were having a laugh at the end of our manager's meeting yesterday. And she said, oh, you never get to what, you know, I got interviewed 23 years ago for X company. And she said, you know what they said to me? A man and a woman interviewing, they said, you're a young woman. When are you thinking about having children? Because we need to consider that. I have that. Your, I, have I know you went, please tell me you're taking a piss. Well, so it was 23 years ago, but would that now happen? They might not say it, but someone thinking it. Yeah, yeah. There you go.
I'll shut up again. There's one question over there. Can I just go say on, something sorry. that I think maybe what I go back to her and say is maybe try and get whoever that was to be re-educated by someone else in the company. Maybe they don't think it's current, but talk to the people that they maybe think are these people leading. And I, I don't think you should ever stop a conversation. So whether we think it's a nice problem to have or not, the fact is that they should be able to talk about that still. And that's the problem that now that's not an inclusive environment to even have a conversation. Agreed. Right, guys, I'm, I'm really sorry. We don't have any more time for questions. Uh, I said guys, dudes. Um, listen, uh, I think today's session has um, been fantastic. I've, I've actually been... Um, Really pleased with the level of engagement from, from the audience. Um, I think it's definitely worth a, a follow-up session. But I'm just going to show our hands in, in the room who would be interested in uh, attending another event such as this where we can um, dig deep into some of these, these other topics and, and just have a, a bit more of an engaging two-way conversation. Okay, perfect. Um, that's awesome. I, I think, um, are we handing out feedback forms? Yes, we've got feedback forms, um, we've got a QR code that will shortly appear on the screen as well. We've got old fashioned feedback forms, and then if anyone wants to scan, we'd really appreciate your feedback. I hope you found it really valuable. Um, we just have a, a round of applause for the panel.